Hey, and thanks for tuning in to the Father's House podcast. The Father's House exists to see people discover life in Jesus. We hope that today's message brings you fresh life and renewed hope as you listen. Enjoy. Well, here we are one week away from the last chapter in this series we are calling The Answer. And if you're new with us this morning, the answer we have found is out of the book of 1 Corinthians, where the Apostle Paul writes a letter to the Corinthian church to help them with some problems that they are facing. Now, I would say over these last 15 weeks, we have proved that we are, in fact, like the city of Corinth, not just because San Francisco is a port city, a transient city, a city known for wealth and influence and a whole lot of other things. But I think we've proved this because not only was Paul's letter to the Corinthian church helpful for them, it's been helpful for us. It's been helpful for this church. I've heard story after story from person after person about how studying this word together over the last 15 weeks has transformed their life. And praise God for that. Praise God that the the word wasn't just spoken, but it actually has the power to transform our lives. And it did that for so many people. I've seen people lay down lifestyles and habits and relationships and say, you know what? This doesn't matter. Instead, I'm gonna make my life look more more like the life of Christ. So I don't have time to share all of those stories, but if this series has helped you, will you simply just give me a little shout today? And does my time clock work? Because I just glanced down. Awesome. Thank you. Just a little segue here. See, production stuff. You don't even know they do that. They're amazing. Well, here we are in the second to last chapter, and Although this isn't the last thing that Paul says in this letter, this is the last major theme that he addresses to the people of Corinth. And all throughout this series, we have said that the gospel is the answer for every single problem we face. You could probably recite that entire intro section, that this is what the gospel is. So I find it so appropriate that this is the last theme that Paul ends with, because it Today, it's all about the gospel. He specifically addresses the gospel in chapter 15. But before we dive into this, I will mention that this is one of the lengthier chapters of this letter. Tim seems to give the others of us the lengthy, no, I'm just kidding. He's gonna have preached 11 times throughout this. So give it up for him real quick. Well, just like we've said in previous weeks, we don't have time to address every single detail of what Paul wrote about in this letter, but I invite you, utilize the study tools and go in and study out what I miss to uh, inform you of today because there is some good stuff in there. Instead, today, we're going to briefly explore one of their problems, and then we're gonna discover one of our own. So if you're taking notes today and you want a title for this message, here it is. This ain't it. Tell your neighbor, this ain't it. Say it in a Southern accent, honey, this ain't it. Did you like that? All right, let's pray. Oh, Father, we thank you for the word that instructs our hearts. Thank you that it truly does have the power to transform us. And So right now, I pray as we go to your word yet again, the instructions for our life, that you would speak. We even just say we open up our hearts, 
We uh, laid down the fact that the, the foosball team will be playing in, I don't know, 20 minutes or so. And we focus in on what you have to say to us in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. All right, so if you haven't already, turn your attention to the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 15. It'll be up here on the screen and we'll read this out. Paul says this, he said, let me now remind you, dear brothers and sisters, of the good news I preached to you before. You welcomed it then and you still stand firm in it. It is the good news that saves you if you continue to believe the message I told you. Unless, of course, you believe something that was never true in the first place. I passed on to you what was most important and what has also been passed on to me. And it's this, that Christ died for our sins, just as the scripture said. And he was buried and then he raised from the dead on the third day, just as the scripture said. And then Paul begins to list the number of people that witnessed the resurrected body of Jesus, which includes the apostles and Paul himself. But then we're gonna jump down to verse 12 where he continues and he says, but tell me this, since we preached that Christ rose from the dead, why are some of you saying that there will be no resurrection of the dead? For if there is no resurrection of the dead, then Christ has not been raised either. And Christ, if Christ has not been raised, then all of our preaching, what I am doing right now, it's useless. And your faith is useless too. And we apostles would have been lying about God for we have said that God raised Christ from the grave. But that can't be true if there's no resurrection of the dead. And if there's no resurrection of the dead, then Christ has not been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then he says again, your faith, it's useless. And you are still guilty of your sins. In that case, all who died believing in Christ are lost. And if our hope in Christ is only for this that life, then we are to be pitied more than anybody else in the world. And then Paul brings the nose of the plane up as he says in verse 20, but in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. He is the first in the great, of the great harvest of all who have died. Amen to the word of God, amen. Uh, I think that Paul was really strategic here in ending this letter with this theme. It's as if Paul is saying, hey, everything else that I've addressed up until this point is important. And it's helpful for you to apply to your life as you live this life in a city that looks like Corinth. But what I'm about to tell you is of utmost importance. See, if I would have written a very lengthy letter to someone and I had shared with them a ton of details, I would make sure that at the end of the letter, I either told them or reiterated what was most important. And listen, don't get me wrong. Everything that Paul has said before this is important. It's helpful for us to apply to our lives. Maybe everything excluding head coverings, let's be real. But I think that Paul ended with this because he wanted to remind the Corinthian church that everything else he had addressed in the letter was only helpful if they got the most important thing. And what is the most important thing? It's the gospel of Jesus Christ. So listen, sexual sin, it's important to stay away from sexual sin as he addressed before in the letter, but that only makes sense if you have a foundation of the gospel. And 
using our gifts to serve the body of Christ, it only makes sense and it only seems important if we have a foundation, if we have an understanding of the gospel. And why stewardship and the use of our money and our time, it only really matters if we do it with the purpose of serving the good news in the kingdom of God. Everything we do must be rooted in the gospel. So before we get into their problem and our problem, I think we first must remind ourselves of something that Paul reminds, us, reminds the Corinthian church of. And that is the fundamental truth of the gospel. We see in verses three and four, Paul points out that the, there are three important aspects to the gospel. He says first that Christ died. And before Christ died, he lived for 33 years on this planet. He had a body just like ours and he was tempted by sin just like we are. Yet Christ never sinned in any way making him the perfect one to be a sacrifice for you and I. So before Jesus went to the cross, he was spit at, he was mocked, he was beaten, he was given a, a crown of thorns that was shoved on his head. He was whipped with a leather whip and it tore into the skin of his back and then eventually they took some massive nails and they dug them through his wrists and his ankles and he hung upon the cross, taking for us all of the guilt and the wrath of our sin, what we deserved. Why? Because we couldn't pay that penalty. And so Jesus said, I'm gonna go to the cross for you. Not only am I going to suffer, suffer physically, I'm gonna suffer spiritually, taking upon myself the entire wrath due to your sin. Why? So you could make, a, I could make a way so you could be close to the Father. And then the next aspect of the gospel Paul reminds us of is that Jesus was buried. You know, oftentimes we overlook this aspect of the gospel and we say, well, Jesus died and he was risen. But no, this is an important detail because his burial is evidence that he truly did die. And then lastly, the resurrection of Jesus. After three days in the tomb, Jesus came out of that grave. And as we saw before, the apostles and disciples, they didn't just witness him, but they spent time with him. They ate with him. They touched his resurrected body. And because Jesus was resurrected, do you know what that means for you and me? It means we get to walk out in resurrection life here on this earth. The Bible says that the same power that raised Christ from the dead lives in me and you. And this is an important aspect of the gospel so that we can walk in power on this earth, but also so we can have a hope for eternity. Because if Jesus rose from the dead, that means that you and I rise from the dead. And this is the one thing that separates us from every other religion because Jesus is the only one who raised from the dead. He's the only one showing that he was the perfect lamb of God to take away the sins of this world. See, Paul makes it clear that every single one of these parts of the gospel message are important. That Jesus didn't just die and was buried, but he was raised to new life. And Paul makes it a point to mention all three of these aspects of the gospel because apparently this was the source of the problem that the Corinthian church was facing. We see in verse 12, Paul says, 
we don't just preach that Christ died and was buried, we preach that he rose. So why in the world are some of you saying that there is no resurrection of the dead? Now, the, the problem that Paul is addressing here wasn't that these Corinthian believers didn't believe that Jesus had rose from the dead. They didn't believe that they could be raised from the dead. They didn't believe Christ's followers would one day be raised from the dead. Now, we get the answer to this problem by understanding who was a part of the Corinthian church, who was influencing this idea. Remember, all throughout this letter, we've read that the culture was beginning to infiltrate the thoughts and the ways of the Corinthian church, so there were things that Paul had to address. So there are a couple possible influence for why some of these Corinthian Christians we're thinking that only Jesus would be raised from the dead, but resurrection life was not possible for them. Now, the early church was made up of both Jew and Greeks. And some of the Jewish people at the time, they were considered Sadducees. Now, this was a religious sect of the Jewish culture. And if, to be a Sadducee, it meant that you didn't believe that there was any life after death. So that would make the resurrection of our bodies impossible. But I think the second and more likely influence to this idea was coming from Greek philosophy, which believed that there was immortality for the soul, but not the body. In fact, this Greek philosophy even had a proverb that's, that read like this, the body is a tomb, I am a poor soul shackled to a corpse. But Paul points out some truth here in verse 12 if we dig a little bit deeper. He speaks of resurrected bodies in verse 12, but he doesn't use the word soul to describe what would be resurrected. Instead, he uses the Greek word egyro. Say that with me this morning. Egyro. Egyro means corpse, y'all. Paul isn't just telling them the fullness and the truth of the gospel here, he's reminding them that Jesus's physical body was raised. His corpse was raised, that's what came out of the tomb. And that one day, theirs would too. He, he says further on in verse 23, but there's an order to the resurrection. Christ will be raised as the first of the harvest, and then who? All belong. All that belong to Christ will be raised. Listen, this might be truth for someone this morning, which is good. One day, Jesus will come back. It's known as the second coming of Christ. One day, he will come riding in on his white horse. This is spoken about over 1,800 times in the Bible. And we're told that on this day, when Jesus comes back, that he will defeat evil once and for all. Every ruler, every power, every authority that has been unleashed upon this earth, he will put it into once and for all. But not only that, he will restore the earth, the earth that God created that we read about in the book of Genesis. And not only will he restore the earth, but heaven will come and invade earth. And next, because Jesus was risen from the dead, all the saints, all the believers who believe in him will then be raised from the dead. Now, someone just got nervous because you're like, corpse, body, in the ground, sounds gross, decay, how long have you been there? Listen, it's not a gross thing because 
Jesus' body was made new. It was transformed when he was resurrected. That means ours will too. There's gonna be a transformation that happens. If you go on to read the rest of this and study it out, you'll see this beautiful transformation that's played out in chapter 15. But I think for many of us in the room today, this isn't new information. You knew this already. You're like, yeah, 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 thank you. But thank you for reminding me. But I do think that there's some people in here that didn't know the full picture of the gospel, didn't know the beginning and the end and what Christ has done and will do for us one day. Some of you are new to faith, you're new to reading the Bible, or maybe you're here and you're just curious about Jesus. Can I say, I am so glad you're in the room today. I'm so glad that you get the opportunity to hear that your Jesus loves you and that he died for you and he was buried for you and he resurrected for you to give you resurrection life here on this earth and also into eternity. And my hope, my prayer today is this wouldn't be information, but you'd receive it as good news. But I know for the rest of us who've been on this faith journey for a while, you'd say, hey, this isn't news to me and I also don't think this is a problem I face. I'm not wrestling with the fact of, will my body resurrect one day? I've got that. I don't think that this is the common uh, thought in the room. But rest assured, this might not be your problem, but you still got problems. Turn to your neighbor and say, you got a problem. I'm just kidding, don't do that, it's rude. As I sat down to study this chapter, and I realized that their specific problem that Paul was addressing was not our problem. I was tempted to continue to talk to you about the resurrected body. In fact, if you study this, there's a lot. I repeat, a lot of information that you can learn. But I had to ask myself, would this be the most helpful thing for you on a Sunday? For sure, all scripture is God-breathed and it has the ability to change our lives. But I had to ask myself, is this the most helpful? But as I thought about it, I'm like, nah, I think there might be something that's even more helpful that we can draw from this text that can help us live our lives and be the answer to how we live in this city called San Francisco. So what I propose for you today, this morning is this. And if you take notes fast, you can write this down. If not, it's on the screen. I believe that their problem was that some of them didn't believe in the resurrection of our bodies. But I'd say our problem is that some or potentially many rarely think about the resurrection at all. Today, if I were to hand a Bible to somebody who had never read it before, and I were to ask them to read through all the writings of the apostles' teachings, and I were to say, hey, after you read this, I want you to tell me what the main thing is that they talked about. What did they talk about most? If that person did not have a Western American Christian mindset, then they would conclude that the main focus of the writing and the preaching and the teaching of the apostles was all about the resurrection of Christ and our eventual resurrection. The resurrection and eternity was the main focus for the apostles' teachings. Yet, if I were to ask that same person to sit under the teaching and the preaching of the American church and 
and then report back to me what our main focus is or read the writings of the books of Christian authors. I think what they would conclude is that our primary focus has everything to do with the death and the burial of Christ and the forgiveness of sin that he afforded us on the cross. I think there's a difference in the focus. Think about it for a second. We don't put tomb, like open tombs and stones rolled away as the things that signify our church buildings, right? You don't see just a rolled away stone in an empty tomb on the side of a church building. No, what do we see? Crosses. And this morning, I would guess that there's no lady here in the room with a stone on the end of her necklace that rep- represents the stone that was rolled away when Jesus was resurrected. Or you have like empty tomb earrings. No, you're probably wearing a cross. <laughs> Why? Because the cross has become the central focus of our faith, which isn't a bad thing. Obviously, I am so grateful for the cross of Christ. I'm so grateful for what Jesus did, but if all Jesus did for us was die, then all we would have is forgiveness of sins. But without the resurrection, we would not have the ability to live in this resurrection life and walk out in freedom here upon this earth. And we most certainly wouldn't have a hope for eternity. Now the Corinthian church, they had a problem that they had the culture influencing them from the outside and giving them some false thinking or mindsets or focuses. But I would say here in the American church, we have a problem as well. We have been influenced by a gospel message that is lopsided. We've been influenced to believe and put more emphasis and focus on the death of Jesus than the life of Jesus. And as a result, I think that's why so many Christians are so focused on their sin and their need for forgiveness because they're focused on only one part of the gospel. It's lopsided. And they're not focused on the life of Jesus and the fact that he was resurrected and he gives us resurrection life. And he says, hey, this ain't him, people. You can have a hope for eternity. You know, culture can tell us to hone in on how we need to improve. And we can focus in on our sin. And pretty soon we can realize that we can start chasing our tail, trying to be in this vicious cycle of self-improvement when really we just need to look up. We need to lift up our eyes beyond the sphere of our sin and see that resurrection life is available to us. As I read this chapter and hear Paul remind us of the fullness of the gospel, this is the problem that I see. And you guys, I don't mean that this is a general problem. I think this is a personal problem. It's a problem that you can have. It's a problem that I can have. So if you're taking notes, write this down. How do we determine if we are more focused on the cross than on the resurrection? How do we determine? Well, we do what we do almost every single week here. We make it personal. We take the opportunity to get a little bit uncomfortable and ask ourselves some questions. Shall I refrain in this moment from copying Tim from last week as he gave his great Jeff Foxworthy impression? 
Because I just got back from the South a couple of weeks ago, and I think I do it pretty good. What do you think, Micah? Y'all think so? So I propose to you, you might be a lopsided believer if, okay, I'm done. <laughs> Promise I'm done. So we have to ask ourselves some serious questions. If you're taking notes, you can write these few questions down, and this is a moment for self-reflection. First question is, when I pray, am I more focused on forgiveness or the future? When you repent, are you looking back? Are you looking in the rearview mirror of your life and asking God to forgive you for things that you've maybe already asked him to forgive you of? If we're not careful, we'll allow our prayer time to be consumed with looking back and then instead of looking forward and we fail to fix our gaze on eternity. Are you more focused on spend, in spending time on repenting to God in your prayer time and it, instead you're neglecting to use your breath to invite heaven to invade earth? Another question we can ask ourselves is are my prayers more about me or others? Next, am I experiencing freedom or do I find myself in the same sin over and over and over again? Not experiencing freedom, but like I said before, chasing your tail and continually coming back to the same place and repenting yet again for the same thing. Next, do I recognize that trials and sufferings are only temporary? Now, the Apostle Paul goes on to speak of, in the second book that he wrote to the Corinthian church, he said, hey guys, these troubles you're facing, they are temporary and they are small in comparison to the scope of eternity. And the last question we can ask ourselves is, do I ever think what I'm doing will matter for eternity? How I'm investing my time and my resources, how I'm spending my time in serving others or a lack thereof. Now, if we answer those questions truthfully and we determine that we are overly focused on forgiveness, we aren't fo we're, we're only focused on ourselves, we're not experiencing freedom, then we must face the unfortunate reality that our faith just might be a little bit lopsided because we failed to look at this life through the lens of eternity. And according to Paul in verse 19, he says, if we find ourselves in that state, we are to be pitied more than anyone else on the planet. Now, Listen, if you call yourself a believer today, I don't think our problem is that we don't believe in an eternity. We don't believe in a heaven that Jesus will in fact come back for us one day and we will spend eternity with him. But I do think that because many of us have a lopsided view of the gospel, that also means that we are far more focused on the here and now than we are on the life to come. I said I, I just came back from a trip to the south I had the, the opportunity to go and preach at a women's conference in Albany, Georgia. Some of them say Albany, some of them are just like, it's Albany, because they moved from like Las Vegas. <laughs> and 
on that uh, trip, in order to get there, it's a smaller city, so you have to take a flight into Atlanta. There's no direct flight there. And then you have to hop on one of those small planes, you know, those planes that only has two seats on either side and a really small aisle. And you just feel really bad for the, the, the flight attendant because their job just consists of giving people safety instructions. And then it's like, okay, it's time to land. I'm like, what a boring gig. Maybe they love it, whatever. <laughs> anyway, imagine if on this flight to Albany, Georgia, I didn't just sit in 17A and B, because no one was sitting next to me, and just kicked back, relaxed, and enjoyed a book while I was on this 32-minute short flight. What if instead I took along some things to make my space a little nicer? You know, the, the wall of the plane is gross because everybody lays their head on it. So I'm like, this is kind of dingy. So I bring some wallpaper to decorate the side of the plane, just in my section. And then because I love vintage oil paintings, I bring these two miniature ones that go on either side of the window. And we all know the plastic window shade will not do, no. I had some custom Roman shades crafted so that I can bring them along and put them up. And of course, I need an, a few nice throw pillows and a quilt to go that'll bring out all the coloring in the wallpaper. Now, all of this sounds quite ridiculous for such a short stay, correct? Yet I think this is how so many of us live our lives in this temporary space we find ourselves in. I think that we get caught up in and we think about and we throw so much time and energy in what is temporary. This day, this earth that is but a blip on the radar in comparison to eternity. So I think we need to ask ourselves just one more question today, and it's this. Are we living for this life or for eternity? When you look at your life and how you spend your time, how you spend your money, your focus, your, your energy, would you say that it shows you are living for the here and now or the forever of eternity? When you look at how you invest or spend your money, are you seeking first the kingdom of God? When you look at your calendar, would you say that it points to the fact that you prioritize God and the things of God and the people of God? Or when you look at all of that, do you realize that you are far more focused on the here and now that today has gotten your gaze? Now, I'm not just pointing fingers at you today, I promise, because anytime you get convicted by the word. Before I'd bring this to you, I'm like, oh my gosh, Jesus. I pointed the finger at myself. Do you know why? Because at times I can have a tendency to get caught up in the here and now, in the temporary of this life, instead of fixing my gaze on what's most important, eternity. Uh, just this last week, I ordered some Roman shades for my kitchen. Some, yes, you see now where I got the inspiration for decorating my plane. I had wanted these for a while, and I finally found what I wanted, so I ordered them. I also uh, found a deal on Crate and Barrel for some clearance pillows for the living room. Yeah, those are on the plane, too. And I was willing to wait for them. I knew they were going to come in a couple of weeks, but I got a notification on Friday morning that both were going to arrive that day. Who gets excited when a package or gets there earlier? So I'm sitting down. I'm finishing up the sermon, and I'm in my backyard, and what do I do? 
I pick up my phone, I'm like, are they here yet? And I check the notification status. You know how on Amazon orders, you can like track the truck when it's in your neighborhood. You're like, they're five stops away. I didn't check that notification once. I checked it five or six times, guys. Not only that, I'm in the backyard because it was a nice day and I hear a truck in front of the house. So I'm like, there they are. I jump up and I run out to the porch only to find that it's Michelle Baker's package that she sent to my house. <laughs> Dang it. I jump up again because I hear a truck. It's the garbage man. It's Friday. It's trash day. Oh my gosh, Robin, what is wrong with you? You're supposed to be writing a sermon. But I think that this is such a great picture of how we have to constantly be realigning our focus on what matters most. Because here's the deal, those pillows, they gonna burn. But there's the potential chance that today when I share the gospel that someone will make a decision of faith. So what's more important? As our title suggests, this ain't it. I said before, the Apostle Paul spent his life talking about eternity, not about the here and now. In fact, he says in another book he wrote to another church, he shares in Galatians 3, since you have been raised to new life with Christ, set your sights on the realities of heaven where Christ sits in the place of honor at God's right hand. What does he say? Think about heaven not the things of this earth. Think about eternity because it's real, not the things that won't last. For you died to this life and your real life is in eternity. Friends, let Paul remind us today that you might dwell on Santiago Street. This might be your temporary dwelling place, but this is not your home. This is not where you will dwell for an eternity. No, your home is in heaven, right here, right now. And Paul implores us, he reminds us, hey, the things you're focused on today, the things that you've been focused on this month, hey friend, those things are going to burn. Would you fix your eyes? Would you fix your gaze heavenward? And would you live your life in such a way that you're thinking about eternity, why? So it's a motivation for why we live on this earth, because this ain't it. One last story, and I'm going to invite the band to come as I close. Um, many of you know, and we shared this this morning at rally, that this last week, right after our pursuit gathering, uh, we got a text from my mother-in-law. She's the spicy Italian woman right here. My kids call her Nona. And she texted us to tell us that my father-in-law, the very tall one right here, who my kids call Papa T, had had a heart attack. And this probably comes as a surprise to you as it did us, because he's in great shape. I think he can do more push-ups and pull-ups than anybody in this room. Maybe anyone excluding JT. When you're better, maybe we should do a competition, I don't know. And not only did he have a heart attack, but we found out later that his heart had completely stopped. At the emergency room, I'm not gonna look at him when I say this. <laughs> the emergency room, his heart stopped beating and CPR didn't work. And they had to take out the defibrillator. He and I argue over if he died. He said, Robin, my soul did not leave my body. And I said, but they would say you're clinically dead. <laughs> well, after they got his heart beating, thank God the defibrillator worked. 
they rush him off to surgery to unclog the artery that had stopped his heart in the first place. And I just wanna take a minute and say thank you to those of you who prayed with us uh, that night and supported the family through the week because it was a crazy week to say the least. I'm so happy to report that he's sitting right here on this front row. <laughs> But if I'm being honest this morning, uh, in the time between the emergency room arrival and the post-op of the surgery, I wasn't just praying, but to be perfectly honest, I contemplated him not making it. And this might sound morbid, but I think it was a very uh, real situation that could have ended that way. But I also think the reason that my mind went there is because I knew what I was gonna talk about this Sunday. And I knew that I was gonna pose this question to us. That are we living with an awareness of the resurrection life that we've been given? Are we living with an awareness and a fixation on heaven? Because when I think about my father-in-law's life, I say, I would be able to answer that question and say, yes, he does. You know, I think he is one of the most amazing examples of how to live your life with your gaze fixed heavenward. How to make the most of your days here on this earth and live out the purposes of the gospel for eternity. And he isn't just generous with his kids and his grandkids. He's generous with friends and neighbors and even strangers. I've seen him be generous in ways with his time and his finances that I will not share because he'd be mad at me for doing so. But I will share that I have seen him extend forgiveness when he's been wronged. When he could have fought for justice, he's forgiven. And you guys, he's really good at fighting for justice because he has a law degree. I've actually seen him use that law degree to offer free advice and counsel to people. By the way, this is not an invitation to hit him up for free legal advice. But beyond that, I have seen him make the most of every opportunity to share the gospel with those around him. I've seen him lay aside his plans and his agenda and even our plans. <laughs> because he finds an opportunity to tell somebody about Christ and how much he loves them. I am so happy that on September 5th, 2023, my father-in-law did not uh, breathe his last breath because I know God is not done with him. I know there's a whole lot more he has to accomplish through your life. I think you're thankful for that too. But I'd say if he would have gone there, if September 5th would have been the last day that he lived, I would have say, said that he ran the race well. And then he embodied what it says in Galatians 3, that he lived his life with his gaze fixed on eternity. Now, I think Papa T is an amazing example of this. I also think that the Apostle Paul's life and how he lived for others and he lived with eternity in mind instead of his own life was an amazing example. But I think above every other example is the life that Jesus our Savior lived with his eyes fixed on eternity for what he came here to this earth to have purpose to do. And when 
we live our gaze, we live our lives with our gaze fixed on eternity, do you know what we do? We prove that we don't live a lopsided gospel. Instead, we're living out the fullness of the gospel as we remind ourselves that this ain't it. This isn't it, amen? Come on. Thank you, Jesus. Let's pray this morning. Jesus, I thank you for leading us today. I thank you for speaking to us. And I pray right now for those of us in the room who've said, I have been living that lopsided gospel. I've been far more focused on my need for forgiveness. And I found myself just in that vicious cycle. And I'm not walking out in resurrection life that you've offered me, the power that you've given me to be able to not just get over that sin, but walk in freedom. And I'm most certainly not fixing my gaze heavenward. I've been distracted by all the things around me. This morning, we just take a moment and we come to the cross and we say, Jesus, we thank you that you died for us, you were buried and you raised for us. And we make a decision today to live out the fullness of the gospel message. Another group of people that I wanna pray for this morning is if you're here today, and as I shared the fullness of that gospel message that your Jesus loves you and that he died on that cross, bore that gruesome death to take away your sins, that he was buried and he was raised to new life so that you could walk out in life on this earth and into eternity. Some of you maybe haven't made that decision to truly say yes to following after him. And I'm so glad that you're in the room this morning. And right now, if that's you, you're far from Jesus and you don't wanna be any longer, I simply wanna invite you to pray with me. But before you do, would you identify yourself? If that's you, you're far from him and you don't wanna be any longer, just simply lift up your hand so I know who I'm praying with today. Come on. And if that's you, let's pray this out this morning and say, Jesus, I believe you died for the forgiveness of my sins. Thank you for being buried and then raising to new life. Today, I receive that new life, that gift of salvation. I repent of my sins and I turn towards you. And I make a commitment to serve you and walk out in resurrection life all my days until I see you in eternity. Come on, can we just give it up for those that made that decision today? Amen. Hey, thanks for taking the time to listen to the Father's House podcast. We hope it helped you wherever you're at in your journey. And listen, we wanna pray with you if you're going through something right now that's difficult. You can go to our website, tfh.church, and click on the prayer and praise link and tell us how to join you in prayer. Until next time, be blessed.